With sports car racing news from around the globe, this is the Sports Car 365 Double Stint Podcast. Here's John DeGeese and Ryan Marine. Hello, everyone. This is Double Stint Sports Car 365 Sports Car Racing Podcast in Indianapolis. I'm Ryan Marine. We've got John DeGeese in Chicago and Dan Lloyd in the UK joining us on the Prague program here this week. How are you, first of all, John? Doing okay. How about yourself? Great, and happy to have Dan back on the program. How are you, Dan? Very well, thank you. Thanks for having me back. It is our pleasure. So, plenty to cover on the program this week. We had the Asian Le Mans Series in action at Shanghai, kicking off its 2018-2019 season. And we'll talk about that here in just a little while. Plenty of news from the world of sports car racing to get to. Some listener questions as well. And our last chance to get to the listener questions before we hit our slate of year-in-review episodes, which kick off next week to take you through the end of the 2018 calendar year. But uh, let's dive into Shanghai, Dan. You had the coverage for us this past weekend, and uh, at the top of the finishing order, at least, the overall winners, it was people Durrani, Alexander West, and Combe Ledegar driving for Spirit of Race. They started on pole, but it was not at all a straightforward race for the pole sitters, eventually picking up the win, but they had a whole lot of work to get there yeah it was it was a classic uh, comeback drive really uh, from the the very back of the 27 car grid uh, west who started from pole after Pipo Durrani put the put their Ligier Ligier JSP2 Nissan uh, on on the front of the grid he had a spin in the first corner um, a, a bit of a mix up really it was uh, it was a bit crowded going into into the first turn with the uh, a decent grid of LMP2 cars and west spun out onto the uh, the, the far reaches of the runoff uh, and from that point, it was it was all about uh, regaining the lost positions. And to be fair to West, he, he did a very good job to uh, to keep the car on on the lead lap and keep it keep it running. And then with uh, Ledegar and Pipo Durrani, the two uh, the two real sort of gun drivers in in that lineup, they they gradually picked through the field. And and in the second half of the race, uh, Durrani came out of the pits ahead of the challenging United Autosports number 22 Ligier of Paul Resta and Phil Hansen and ended up taking the car to to a win so it was it, it wasn't as straightforward as as it may have seemed on paper with the the pole car winning um, but a really good performance from Spirit of Race and it, and it sets a good precedent for that team uh, heading into the next round and you mentioned it a pretty strong grid in LMP2 and really a strong grid from top to bottom I'm curious both of you we'll start with Dan your impressions of the car count that we saw in the the season an opener for this series after a down year last year uh, specifically though in the LMP2 class uh, yeah it, it, in a word I'd say good uh, it was it was a, a, a good grid not not massive but certainly the uh, uh, the the LMP2 the LMP3 car counts much higher than last season I think if, if you add it all together we had double roughly double the amount of prototype cars that we had last season so uh, a, a really encouraging uh, showing there, I think I think a big part of that has been uh, sort of European-based teams who are looking to get automatic invitations to Le Mans um, because this season in the prototype ranks there are actually three automatic invites. You can get through by winning the overall LMP2 class, you can win the LMP3 class, or you can win the AM Trophy, which is new for this year in LMP2 um, for 
sort of and base driver lineup so it, it's i think that has been an incentive for uh, for some teams to ramp up their entries um and each team's got different reasons i think we heard earlier in the year united autosports had um sort of a logistical reason for for coming to asia um but yeah the, those european teams have really helped uh, bulk out the grid and and local interest also seems to be high it's difficult to to really get the uh, the Chinese market in particular, which is quite quite new to motor racing, really interested in the 24 hours of Le Mans concept. But we got teams like uh, Chianchi Racing with a, a couple of Audis, or well, in last weekend's race, an Audi and a Mercedes um, coming in and and themselves going for the going for the Le Mans entry in GT. So it's it, it's not a huge grid. We had 27 cars at the opener. That's not going to be the full season amount because we had uh, a few Carrera Cup cars guesting. Um, but certainly we, we've seen growth from last year, especially in the prototype ranks. And uh, I, I'd say that that's uh, an encouraging sign going forward. Yeah, I'd agree with you, Dan. You know, uh, more cars than last year for sure in, in the series. And anytime you see growth, that's a positive sign. And 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 looking at some of the competition too in in, in the LMP2 class in particular, when you have guys like Paul Daresta, Pipo Durrani, you know, battling it out, you know, for a, a full season championship, that that says a lot. So I think this is a a good point that the Asian Le Mans series is at. Um, obviously, last year's a bit was a bit of a challenge, and I think there's still a big initiative to um, bring more GT cars to the the grid. It, it's obviously a bit of a challenge in, in Asia because you have so much competition now for GT3 cars. Um, whether it's the the Blancpain GT World Challenge Asia, um, the China GT Championship, also um, the Asian GT relaunched, I, I believe, under a different name recently. So there's a lot of different avenues, you know, to to go with GT3 racing. Also in Japan with a couple different championships so um, bottom line is i think the acl's gotten this one right um, they have to be patient on its growth but um, i think the signs are definitely pointing in the right direction yeah a good step certainly this past weekend dan made reference to the new lmp2 am subcategory united autosports had the win in that class patrick byrne guy cosmo and sally yolik teaming up for the victory there how about in lmp3 dan what were the storylines this weekend well, the storylines at the start of the race, we were thinking that we were going to get an LMP3 car on the overall podium because there were some really stellar drives in the opening stint amid the LMP2 carnage up front that uh, that, that, that made things really interesting. But um, LMP3 in the Asian Le Mans has really, really grown uh, coming into this new season. We've got uh, plenty of teams from Europe coming in, but uh, into Europol competition being one, um, the, the Polish outfit, which uses a very distinctive green and yellow half-and-half half livery on it on its Ligio JSP3. Uh, that team eventually won with uh, Jakub Smikowski and Martin Hipper. Uh, they, they ended up sort of dominating the race, really. It, it, was, it was quite a commanding performance, but certainly a lot of the TV coverage was, was focusing on, on these positional battles in LMP3, and it is a mostly Ligio grid, so when you've got such closely matched cars and with a good sort of 10-11 car entry, you're, you're going to have those good battles. So um, it seems to be a category that, as it has done in many other parts of the world, is really uh, taking off in Asia. Yeah, looks pretty solid through one week so far. Finally, in the GT category, Car Guy Racing, the customer Ferrari outfit, a 1-2 there. What was uh, the key to their race, Dan? Well, the key to their race was uh, was keeping it clean, really. It, it was... Uh, it was 
not the closest of GT battles, you could say. They ended up winning by by about a lap, but um, Cargo, I'd say, were the quickest the quickest trio overall, helped by having James Collado, the uh, reigning world endurance GT champion, in the lineup. Um, he was actually against his WEC teammate Alessandro Pierguidi, who's who's signed for Spirit of Races uh, GT effort. But no, Cargo seemed to have have a real march on the field. They're they're a very uh, experienced team having driven uh, having entered super gt in the gt 300 category so they know exactly what they're doing and uh, collado was joined by k cozzolino probably said that incorrectly and takeshi kimura uh, who were who both showed a, a very good pace throughout and and it's while the car count in the class was low we had what, uh, five gt entries excluding the carrera cup runners uh, it was it was clear that the the standard was there, but Car Guy seemed to step above everything um, against again some some pretty good competition. We I mean Tianxi Racing also had Dries Van Thor in the lineup, so an Audi factory driver. Um, but yes, Car Guy going forward, that's the team to beat. It seems. Yeah, big names sprinkled throughout the grid. It was an exciting opening to the 2018-2019 season for the Asian Le Mans Series, and for all of our coverage, check it out at SportsCar 365. Dot com for more on that. Let's take our first break, and when we return, we've got a lot of news to dive into this week. We'll do that next on Double Stint. Hi, I'm Andy Prio, and you're listening to the Sports Car 365's Double Stint Podcast. Back on Double Stint, time to dive into the news, and let's start, John, with uh, some big news in terms of Drivers headed potentially to the Rolex 24 at Daytona. Fernando Alonso has been, of course, in the rumor mill for quite some time, but you could throw Kamui Kobayashi's name into the mix as well. Both drivers linked with Wayne Taylor Racing. Yeah, so the news sort of came out this week. Um, I think an, an official announcement should be due on Wednesday from the team. Um, right now, it's certainly looking like Fernando Alonso and Kamui Kobayashi, um, teammates in separate cars at Toyota Gazoo Racing and the WEC, they're going to be teaming up with Wayne Taylor's full-season drivers, Ranger van der Zanda and Jordan Taylor for the Rolex 24. And that's an explosive lineup, I'd have to say, Um Looking at that, um, the, looking at those prospects, it, you almost couldn't get anything better. Um, I know it's been in the works for quite some time. Um, I know there's been some discussions with Fernando. I think actually going back to last year's Rolex 24, this year's 24, um, when he made his sports car racing debut, um, Kamui joining the fray. I think that's a, a bit of a an interesting development for sure. I, I think that the, the two additions are relatively unrelated to each other, even though they are Toyota co-drivers in, in Toyota teammates in, in WEC. Um, the case that um, Kanaka Minolta, the, the primary sponsor, for Wayne Taylor Racing is a Japanese-based international company. I think that there's some merit there to have a Japanese driver in their lineup, and I don't think you can get anybody better than Kamui right now, especially in a, in a prototype. So um, really good development there. Like I said, we should have an announcement um, hopefully later in the week, perhaps by Wednesday. I know some of it was a bit leaked out into the F1 media this morning as we're taping this on, on Monday as um, the the Alonzo-Jimmy um, Johnson car swap was going on in Bahrain. But, um, 
Yeah, uh, Wayne, you know, speaking to Wayne Taylor about this, he basically said no contracts are in place um, as of today, as of Monday. He says he's talking to five different drivers for contracts, and that leads us to believe that there will be an additional driver for the Michelin Endurance Cup races, bar Daytona. Uh, I think they're going to stick with four drivers for the 24, and then we'll have another driver, um, maybe for Sebring, uh, uh the six hours of the Glen and Petit Lamaze. I think it's unlikely we'll see Alonzo or Kobayashi in those races. Interesting. And certainly the Rolex 24 has the reputation of being an all-star type of event. We've seen some serious star power over the last few years. And Dan, it looks like this year is going to be no different. These are two names that should really move the needle. Oh, absolutely. It's a huge announcement coming in. And it's something that Wayne Taylor Racing uh, is is making a habit of doing now. I mean, they, they ran Rubens Barrichello in 16, Jeff Gordon last year, and now uh, Alonso and Kobayashi coming up for 2019. Um, it's it's a fantastic, fantastic lineup. And really, you can't get much better than having two current um, LMP1 drivers, both themselves now former F1 drivers coming in. Um, it. It's interesting with, with Alonso coming in, it's going to be a, a different kind of uh, challenge for him because uh, last this year, sorry, when he made his debut in the Rolex 24, it was his first sports car race and he was in a lineup with two other rookies. Uh, this year, though, it's, it's completely different. He's got guys who have been, as I'm sure he's fully aware of, uh, in, endurance racing specialists with a team that has achieve success at, in, at Daytona before and in the IMSA championship. So it, it's more of a, much more of a statement of winning intent from Alonso. And, and it just shows how much he, he really values the Daytona 24 hours as a racing prize. I mean, it, his, when he raced for United uh, in this year's edition, it, it seemed a bit as, as though it was uh, a, pre- a preparatory step for Le Mans. He was doing it maybe to have a little bit of fun in the off-season. But this is really in the middle of his sports car campaign with Toyota it's while he's at his sports car prime it might seem and he's definitely going for this um this is a as an overall victory and and as as John said as well it's fantastic to have Kobayashi in because uh, this will be I believe his first Daytona 24 appearance um and it'd be really good to see uh, how he gets on and you can't really go past uh, you can't really do much better than this lineup I think on paper so yeah really looking forward to this one yeah, it's enough for you to be excited for it to be January already. Certainly looking forward to the Rolex 24, and I suspect there'll be some other fun announcements too, as there tend to be for this race in uh, the, the coming month. Uh, one thing I did want to double back on, John, you mentioned a different driver for the other uh, North American Endurance Cup races. I know they had uh, Ryan hunter Ray in the car last year. What do you think uh, the, the direction the team might be headed for those races uh, in 2019 might be? Well, it looks like the rumor on the street is that it could be Matthew Vaxiaverev. Um, obviously, uh, an accomplished LMP2 driver in his own right. He, he's been um, driving for, for TDS racing in, in the WEC. Also, um, the R Motorsport program in, in Blancpain GT. I believe he's managed by Max Angelelli. So um, if all the rumors point in that direction, I believe it'll be Matthew, but obviously not announced or confirmed yet. All right. Interesting. Well, let's get to another topic here. This was uh, an interesting one that that came out of left field for me, at least. Paul Miller Racing, the reigning GTD champion in the WeatherTech Championship, 
We'll be moving to the newly renamed Blancpain GT World Challenge America Series for next year. John, what do you think is behind this move? Yeah, a really interesting development here, Ryan. Um, I had a good conversation with Mitchell Simmons um, today on Monday, who revealed that Paul Miller Racing's in the final preparation phases of a two-car Blancpain GT America program with Lamborghini uh, moving over from the WeatherTech Championship. This is obviously the the reigning um, GT Daytona class champions with Madison Snow and and Brian Sellers. The the big reason for doing this, quite frankly, it comes down to driver ratings. Uh, Madison, as we've documented, has been upgraded to gold rating by the IMSA for next year. He's remained silver um, per the FIA international driver ratings list, but IMSA elected to um, make an alteration to that list for their championships only, with Madison and both and Sheldon Vanderlinde both moving up to gold, and that created a bit of a dilemma for the team to retain that same driver pairing of Madison and. Brian for the season. Uh, Madison um, brings some budget to the team, and he has a strong desire to re- keep Brian as a co-driver, as a mentor, as a driver coach, and they ultimately look to be headed into the uh, direction of moving their program over to the SRO-run um, championship next year. That'll be part of a two-car program. There's also going to be a, a DT3 AM entry for a Lamborghini Super Trofeo graduate um, that was running, I believe, in the Lamborghini Cup class this year. He's going to be making the step up to a GT3 car next year. Not sure if he's going to have a co-driver or not. I think um, solo drivers are allowed in the AM categories for the the 90-minute races, although I might be mistaken. Nonetheless, um, a huge development, I'd I'd have to say, that was really quite literally precipitated by a a change in driver ratings. Yeah, that is interesting. I actually talked to Madison about exactly that. I asked him if if, uh, switching series was a possibility when I spoke with him at the Lamborghini World Final at Vallelunga. And at that time, he really made um, made the point that IMSA felt like home after spending so much time in that paddock, and a switch would be difficult to do. But clearly, the bond that, that he has formed with Brian Sellers, it's been successful on track, and it's a special one between the two of them off the track as well. So uh, I think that, that probably does factor into this. Really interesting to see, and perhaps somewhat related, filling the Lamborghini void, at least, in uh, the WeatherTech Championship. We got the news that Magnus Racing, which has been campaigning Audis in recent seasons, will be switching to Lamborghini starting next year, John. Yeah, this was. It might sound connected, but I believe it's it's all independent uh, of each other. Uh, Magnus has confirmed a switch to the Huracan GT3 Evo for for next year, um, retaining Andy Lally and and team owner John Potter. I believe this will be the team's 10th season in sports car racing, remarkably. So quite an achievement for this organization, Um, winning the Rolex 24, winning the Endurance Cup, the the North American Endurance Cup previously, um, having a lot of success with Porsche and Audi machinery. Now another sister brand from Volkswagen with the Lamborghini. Um, But this is a big big step for, for Lamborghini, obviously, and when this announcement was made last week, it looked like we would have two full-season teams with Paul Miller and Magnus. Now it'll be just Magnus at, at this point. I know there's some other potential um, things in the mix for some, you know, at least partial season efforts um, from some Lamborghinis. I know grass, grass or racing teams confirmed a, a Huracan for the endurance races. I believe another Super Trofeo team is looking at doing a Sprint Cup program. I think, I believe that's PPM, actually. I, I think you spoke to those guys um, a little bit earlier, Ryan. And so Lamborghini will still be represented, but I don't think the Magnus move was directly related to Paul Miller because 
um, it seems that this switch to World Challenge has sort of come together in the last couple weeks. And yes, you're right, it was PPM that I spoke to uh, at uh, the World Final once again, and and they had their eyes set on hopefully running their GT3 car for the Sprint Championship, but uh, the team principal, team manager, Sonny Volkler, told me too that they have people who are interested in running uh, the endurance races as well, so it's really just a matter of what comes together, although admittedly the timeline for getting something ready for Daytona is quite condensed at this point, but something to keep an eye on. What does this development, though, mean for Audi, John? Because with Magnus making the switch, that was uh, the last remaining full-season Audi team competing in the WeatherTech Championship. Yeah, it seems to be a game of musical chairs right now between manufacturers um, and teams and maybe some new teams that have been stalwarts in the WeatherTech Championship or IMSA in general returning to the series. Um, All I could say is stay tuned. I I think we should have an announcement um, either uh, Tuesday or Wednesday. So maybe by the time this podcast is out, uh, be sure to check SportsCar365. I I think that um, some pretty exciting news from a a, a former uh, race and championship winning IMSA team returning to the series full time. Ooh, that sounds intriguing. All right, very good. So check out the website for more on that this week. Uh, another GT3 manufacturer with the story on the website. Some interesting quotes from Stefan Wendel from Mercedes AMG concerning their customer racing programs in the U.S. in a push for greater involvement from their customers in the States, John. Yeah, remarkably, he said that there's 20 Mercedes-AMG GT3s in the U.S., yet there were only, I think, two full-season entries between World Challenge and IMSA this year. And he's making a big push, I think, Mercedes-AMG in general, to try to bring a lot of their partial season entries into full-time programs. You know, we saw Lone Star Racing compete in a, in a handful of World Challenge events. We saw DXDT Racing do the same. Um, also, Sun Energy One was slated to do the full WeatherTech Championship season until uh, Kenny Hobble decided to pull out mid-year and sort of shift his focus towards SRO competition. But um, yeah, there seems to be some teams in the works. I, I think DXDT is planning a two-car uh, World Challenge program, including Ryan DL in, in one of those Mercedes. Also, P1 Motorsports looks set to step up to a full-season program in the WeatherTech Championship with its Mercedes. So it looks like things are heading in that in that direction, um, but I, I don't think we'll be seeing any maybe brand-new Mercedes teams, full-season at least, but um, good to see maybe that brand being a little more well-represented in, in, in the American Championships on the GT3 level next year. Back to the manufacturer news, John, you had a story as well with John Doonan of Mazda concerning the future of uh, that prototype program. Mazda's been in the news a lot on the the U.S. open wheel side of things after pulling out uh, from its longtime support of the Mazda Road to Indy ladder system, but still very much involved in the sports car ranks. And uh, the, the headliner, of course, is the prototype program in the WeatherTech Championship. What did you learn from your conversation with John about the way things are headed for Mazda after a significant uptick in performance in the second half of this season and the second half of their first season as Mazda Team Yoast? Yeah, I think there's a lot of momentum within the program. And and we've said that, uh, I think, throughout the (laughs) year. But 
I, I really do believe it now. You, you look at how well they ran at Petit Le Mans, the team's first double podium, finished with those cars, um, a bulletproof reliability other than I think, than I think a spin or a, a puncture or something early on in the race that required some bodywork changes, but no mechanical issues. And, and John was quick to point out that there hasn't been an engine failure since the Sebring winter test in February. So, the, you know, the cars have been typically known for not having the best reliable engines, and I, I think that they've really turned the corner with that. And making another step for next year will be some further updates to the AER-based engine. It's going to remain a 2.0-liter twin-turbo um, uh, four-cylinder, as it has been, but there's a lot of reworked components, um, some redesigned installation, uh, more efficient cooling, a, a lot of little tweaks made to the to the the engine for improved performance more or less because this car was sort of at the height of the the BOP it couldn't be raised anymore in terms of power and that's why we saw a lot of those changes in the BOP in the second half of the year in terms of weight adjustments slowing down the LMP2 cars it was all to sort of base it around the Mazda because the Mazda was at its extreme upper limit now they're sort of moved they're able to move the power level a little bit higher in the engine, and that should help the overall BOP a, a little bit better to sort of let the DPIs loose a little bit. Um, obviously, now with it being a separate class from LMP2, that sort of seems to be a, a little more advantageous for IMSA to, to give a slight performance difference between the two different categories. And with these changes to the Mazda engine, um, that sort of makes it possible. Uh, the car still has not tested in the U.S. with the updated engine. It ran a couple days in Spain uh, recently, and I think it also might, might have done a shakedown in the U.K. Um, I believe they were planning to run it at Sebring a, a few weeks ago, but ultimately they ran the current engine um, on the new Michelin tires there. Um, I think there's a chance to maybe run it at the, the next, the sixth and final Michelin on-track opportunity at Daytona on December 11th, although that's not 100% confirmed because I know the engine's going to the NASCAR R&D Center in Concord right around that time to be dynoed so it can get a, a baseline BOP. But um, nonetheless, exciting times at Mazda. I, I think, you know, as long as this new engine updates, you know, these new engine updates can prove as reliable as the current engine that ran through this year, I think the the Mazda team Yoast Camp is going to be in a really good position heading into 2019. Yeah, there does seem to be some wind in the sails of this program, and it's it's very good to see. Finally, for this week, Dan, um, interesting development that uh, BMW Team RLL is planning to run the entry that uh, Alex Zanardi is going to pilot in the upcoming Rolex 24. We talked about star power earlier, and yeah, Alonzo and Kobayashi, those are big names, but for me, I am stoked to see Alex Zanardi back uh, in a race car in the States once again and taking part in the Rolex 24. What did you take away from uh, your conversation and and, uh, just everything that, that surrounds this program and how it's coming together? Yeah, so RLL, which which is as we know is the team that, that runs BMW's GT Le Mans entry, um, looks set to run the Zanardi entry as well to to the Rolex Twenty Four next year. Um, Jens Marquardt, who's BMW's motorsport director, confirmed that um, when we saw him at the Six Hours of Shanghai a couple of weeks ago. The plan seems to be that. It could be a full season car. We're we're not entirely sure yet. Mark Watt's been been fairly tight lipped over the exact details of the program, but he did say a few interesting points on how uh, 
if if it was going to be a full season car, Zanardi's inclusion in the lineup would would not affect the the ability of that car to perform well, which is which is an interesting interesting statement considering Zanardi's pit stops in particular the driver changes take a lot longer than a conventional driver change because he actually has to take his steering wheel column out um not sorry his steering wheel configuration out um and replace it with with the standard one um so it 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 would be interesting to see Zanardi in in one of the full season RLL cars but we're not exactly sure um what the entry will entail yet um we do know however that zanardi is very good in endurance races that that require uh, driver changes he he, he did uh, i can't remember exactly where they finished at the 2015 spa 24 but he, he certainly was running near the front towards the end with uh, timo glock and uh, bruno spengler in a z4 gt3 um so I, I don't see why he can't be uh, be a part of the the full season cars. Uh, BMW's yet to confirm its uh, its IMSA program for next year. Uh, we're, we're, there are a few uh, ifs, ifs and what's about the driver lineup because there are a few drivers who will have some clashes early next year and, and that might prohibit them from taking part in the IMSA program. Um, but what's certain is that Zanardi will be in an RLL BMW M8 GTE at Daytona uh, and he will be going for GTLM class victory. So uh, that's certainly going to be a storyline, as you said, Ryan, that, that's going to be really interesting to watch because Zanardi hasn't done too many endurance races in his career. Um, th- this hand control system he's using was debuted at the Misano night race where he remarkably finished fourth, but he's yet to use it in an endurance setting. So uh, this will be the first time for that. Yeah, and it's also interesting that this will be, I believe, his first endurance race where they do full-service pit stops altogether, where you do the tire change and the driver change at the same time. So when he did the Spa 24, um, I believe the Blancpain GT rules back then were still separate tire changes and refueling, and that allowed a little additional time for the driver change. Here, it's going to be a little more pressure um, to, to get it all done because the pit stops generally take you know, 30, 35 seconds. I, I think the fueling is regulated in, in GTL under 35 seconds, if I'm not mistaken. So um, I know they were practicing pit stops, and I think they got them done between him and Jesse Krohn in, 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 I think, 20 seconds. So that'll be very good if that's the case in the race. But, you know, any kind of little slip-up could always lead to delays. But if BMW is confident in that, I, I think that there's no reason to say that he'd be in one of the, the full-season cars for sure. Absolutely. And, and Mark Rudd said that, that said something along those lines that if we didn't believe that it was possible for, for Zanardi to do well and be competitive and for, for that car to be competitive, then, then we wouldn't have taken this project on. So it's, uh, it's, it's something that they certainly believe in. And, and I, I really do think that, that Zanardi is going to, uh, going to have a good crack at it. And, um, as, as we say, more, more details will come out about that entry, I, I'd assume, in the next uh, couple of weeks or so, or, or certainly details about the, the 2019 programs um, as they're, they're now starting to come together. Awesome. Really interesting stuff. Uh, turned into a really busy week of news in sports car racing. So for more on those stories and everything else that happened, be sure to go to sportscar365.com. Let's get our final break in next, and when we return, we've got a couple of listener questions to get to, and we'll do that right after this. Hey, this is Colin Brown, and you're listening to Sports Car 365's Double Stint Podcast.
Back now on Double Stint, time to get to listener questions. These came in both in the comments section from last week's show and also using the hashtag AskDoubleStint on Twitter. Last week we were talking about John's experience at the FIAGT World Cup in Macau, and that's where our first question comes from. Masked Racer wants to know, John, were you still at Macau to see the reaction on site from the Sofia Flourish airborne crash in the F3 race? Was it chaotic and shocking? I actually was not at the track when that happened. I was actually back in the, the hotel room because the media center is a bit cramped there uh, considering it's a street circuit and all. Um, I did see it on TV, though, and, yeah, I think I share a lot of the same sentiments that everybody else did. Uh, I spoke to some people afterwards, actually, on my way back to uh, the airport fr- from Hong Kong to, with some other photographers, and including, actually, Jamie Price, who I, I think we are all aware of. Uh, he's a very uh, good American U.S.-based photographer, um, covers F1, shoots for Lamborghini. He was one of the official track photographers, event photographers for, um, for this. Um, thankfully, he wasn't there in that corner, but he knew people um, that were in that bunker where there were um, where Sophia's car hit, and uh, one of the photographers ended up with a, a ruptured spleen, and another one had a, a concussion. And just shows you that you know racing is dangerous, um, as we saw with with Sophia. It's a, a miracle that she basically got away with what she had, um, only a. a, a fractures in her in her back and now we hear she's on her way home to germany which is great news um uh, indeed but um you know it, it, things could have been a lot lot worse and um i think we should all be thankful for for the incident not being as uh, severe or, or deadly as it really could have been yeah, I echo that, those sentiments, and we wish the best to everyone in their recoveries, uh, Sophia, as well as the photographers and, and everyone else who was injured in that uh, particular accident. And again, thankfully, it wasn't any worse than it was. Our next question came on Twitter from at Porsche Fanatic, who wants to know, do you think the Magnus Racing Lambo deal had anything to do with Madison Snow uh, and Paul Miller moving to Blanc Pond? Did Lambo want to keep a Squadra Corsa factory-ish team in IMSA, and will Audi have a full-season team? Well, we got to some of those earlier, but if you want to uh, address them in, in greater detail here, John, go for it. Yeah, um, the plan that appeared that Lamborghini wanted a little bit of a, an increased presence in IMSA for next year, it, it looked like there would have been at least three full-season entries um, between the Magnus and then two Paul Miller cars. Um, that same gentleman driver that was that looks set to join them for the Blancpain GT World Challenge races was set to do a Sprint Cup program with Paul Miller, and then other drivers were going to fill the car for the endurance races in that second Paul Miller car. So Paul Miller, Miller was set to expand its efforts in IMSA, and ultimately the driver rating situation led them to move their two cars elsewhere to the SRO championship. So um, that's sort of how it unfolded. I, I think Lamborghini Squadra Corsa really wanted an increased effort in the U.S. because, you know, they had a great year this year. I think this was a, a breakout season with with the win that Daytona, Sebring, the Manufacturers Championship. They basically won everything except the North American Endurance Cup Manufacturers Championship. And they did mainly did it with one car uh, outside of the Grasser entry from Daytona. So um, I, I think that they wanted to sort of a, a ramped up effort. Unfortunately, the, the driver rating situation didn't get in 
got in the way a, a bit. And um, this is ultimately customer racing. And when the customer can't afford to race in a certain series because of changes in driver ratings and budgets and, and all that related, they have to go elsewhere. And so we'll see Paul Miller most likely in, in, uh, in Blancpain GT America with the support of Lamborghini. And um, Magnus basically carry the flag for the Italian manufacturer over there. And in regards to Audi, yeah, I hinted at that earlier in the show. Can't really say any more, but um, stay tuned. It looks like we will have at least one full season Audi entrant um, in, in the IMSA next year. Okay, thank you to both of you for the questions this week. And uh, do keep the questions coming in, even though we won't have, be getting to them in the next couple of shows because we're entering into our year-in-review episode starting next week to take you through the end of uh, December and into 2019. We'll make sure to get to all the questions that do come in in our first regular show when that returns uh, the first week of the new year. John and Dan, thank you so much for coming on the show once again. Always fun chatting with you guys. And with that, let's uh, sign off for the week. We'll talk to you with our first year in review episode next week on Double Stint. 